0: Psalm ninety eight. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen. The salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. The rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this great and precious word. We thank you, O Lord, for the anticipation that we have that you will speak to us through it. And for good reason, we anticipate, O Lord, to hear your sweet and lovely voice. For, O Lord, you have coveted, you have promised to come and meet your people as we gather together. You have promised to be our God and you have promised to make us your people. And you are a faithful God and you've made good on that promise. So we look to you, O Lord, in full anticipation of hearing your voice speak to us through your word. And we pray, O Lord, that not only would you communicate to us, but you would teach us and change us. To these ends, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. This morning we come to Psalm 98 for our fourth installment already of our Christmas series, Christmas in the Psalms. Uh, i just give you a, a, a little look into the future. I hope to pick this series back up and have Easter in the Psalms as well this year. And uh, looking down even further into the future, I hope to do the same thing at Thanksgiving time, to have Thanksgiving in the Psalms uh, this year as well. But here we come to the fourth and final installment for 2014 of our Christmas in the Psalms. And in this great psalm, we have a call to sing a new song. uh, To sing a new song. Now, over the past week, as I have studied this psalm, I've spent an enormous amount of time, more I think than usual, uh, trying to outline this psalm. I guess maybe it's the technician in me. I I have have functioned as a technician for so many years. I'm always looking for outlines. I'm always looking for block diagrams. I'm always looking for some kind of schematic to things, uh, which is the way I have a tendency to look at everything, uh, really. Uh, And I think that's a good habit for us to have. We like nice little neat outlines because they help us to see all the parts. And they help us to see how each part uh, functions, how it's put together, uh, which part does what. And uh, how are these parts all strung together? Uh, What is their overall purpose? Uh, Outlines are very beneficial that way, aren't they? And furthermore, if we can put them into neat enough little categories, it's easier to memorize, isn't it? It's easier to memorize. Okay, that's Psalm 98. I got that. I got that. So I spent a lot of time trying to outline this this text at the face of it we can see pretty easily that verses 1 through 3 verses 4 through 6 verses 7 through 9 kind of form three stanzas if you if you look most of your english translations will have a little break there uh, between those three stanzas if you will and there's been a lot of outlines proposed for psalm 98 Uh, Charles Spurgeon in his famous The Treasury of David, he offers this. He says, verses 1 through 3, that first stanza, if you will, if you kind of look at that with me, he says that that stanza is the the subject of praise is put forth. And then in the next one, it's the manner of praise. And then in the next one, it's the universal extent of praise. Sounds helpful, right? Um. Derek Kidner offers this. He says that the first stanza of one verses one through three are the victory of God. The second, verses four through six, is the victory song of man. And the third, I like the third's kind of neat, the chorus of nature. You know, it's pretty insightful, isn't it? Uh, We may offer, if you look at verses one through three as a whole, God is as savior, he's revealed as savior, as salvation. And then uh, verse 6, uh, God is mentioned as king. And then in verse 9, he's mentioned as judge. So, Savior, King, Judge. Uh, Tremper the III offers this. He says, Praise Yahweh who has delivered us, or has delivered Israel in the past. That would be the first stanza. Praise Yahweh who rules over the world uh, in the present would be the second stanza. Praise Yahweh who will, will judge the universe in the future would be the last one. Uh, Matthew Henry, that's the last one. There's a couple more, but I'll just give you one more. Matthew Henry, he offers this. Uh, He breaks the psalm down into two parts. Verses 1 to 3, the glory of the Redeemer. And then the remainder of the psalm is the joy of the redeemed. Now, of all of these, as I've looked at each one of these, and I've I've tried to, to look that through to... to to see, okay, does that work? I've spent time with each one of these and with several more that I haven't even mentioned. And I I found Matthew Henry's to be, at least in my opinion, to to, to be the best. Uh, But all of this having been said, I don't really believe any of these really truly work. They're all helpful in their own right. Right? But I don't really believe the psalm really fits completely into these neat little categories. Now, my, I'm pointing your attention to all this not to purposely bore you. Believe me, I don't ever attempt to try to do that. If I do that, it's completely accidental. <laughs> um, my point is not to try to bore you. My point is this. Think about when you are really excited. Or it might be easier for us to think about when a loved one Is so excited, so filled with joy, that they're ecstatic. And they're trying to tell you why they're so excited. And they're just getting all the information out as fast as they can, you know, they're getting it out as fast as they can. And you're and you're almost tempted to say, whoa, 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 slow down for a minute, slow down. You're trying to you're trying to take in what they're saying, and you're getting a piece over here, and a piece over here, and a piece over here, and finally you say, wait a second, start from the beginning. Okay, and take me through it. I don't think that this psalm fits in nice little neat categories because I think one of, the, one of the great things of Psalm 98 is it is even taking that aspect of human nature into consideration. When we're ecstatic and excited, we don't communicate into nice little neat packages, do we? At least most of us don't we may find somebody who does but for the most part we that's not how we communicate so perhaps what we should say is that psalm 98 is a call to sing from the ceiling a new song due to the marvelous works that god has done in christ jesus and we might put it in a shorter way if you want a little outline to take home with you to remember Psalm 98 by think of it this way it's a call to sing a new song a call to sing a new song now I've already said in this series that the song in Scripture has a powerful place but here we have a call uh, to sing a new song Uh, When God reveals Him in a new way, it's occasion for a new song. We see this all over the Scripture. There are several places in Scripture where we're called to sing a new song. Uh, We don't have time to go into all of them, but let's look at a couple. Uh, Psalm 33, you you don't need to turn there. I'll just give you the the gist of it. Uh, You can look there this afternoon if you like. In Psalm 33, there's a call to sing a new song. And the occasion is awe of God's steadfast love. It's all of God's steadfast love. And in that psalm, God reveals Himself as their hope and their shield. He reveals Himself as Israel's hope and Israel's shield. Uh, Israel is in a miserable place and uh, their fate seems to be dangling by a thread. And they cry out to God and God delivers them. And we can apply that psalm to ourselves. I mean, sometimes we find ourselves, as I've I've already prayed, uh, and and not a few of you are in that position where it seems like your whole life is coming unraveled. Uh, This is an occasion to look to God. And more specifically, to pick up Psalm 33 and look at God as as your uh, hope and as your shield. In other words, as your deliverer. Uh, and your protector. It's occasion for a new song. Psalm ninety six calls us to sing a new song. If, if you look at that this afternoon, you'll see that it's strikingly similar to the psalm we're studying, Psalm ninety eight. And in the <clears throat> the book of Revelation, which we read just a, a few minutes ago uh, from Revelation chapter five, John in that vision which we read is before the throne of God, isn't he? And in God's hand, in His right hand, is a scroll. And uh, there's an angel, a strong angel with a loud voice. He cries in verse 2, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now We can imagine all of heaven falling completely silent as, uh, someone, is, as someone would be willing to come forward who is able to do this. And when no one comes forward, the Apostle John begins to weep. And he begins to weep out loud. And an elder comes to him and says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What do they do next? How do they respond to this? They sing a new song. They sing a new song. It goes like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. What a wonderful song. The same way Psalm 98 calls the faithful to sing a new song. But Psalm 98 does not call us just to sing. It's not just a call simply to sing. Uh, Psalm 98 offers us numerous reasons for this new song. If you look with me to verse 1, God has done what? He has done marvelous things. Uh, Verse 1, His right hand... And his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Now we can look at that verse right there and we can think a few things about that verse. We could say, you know, we could ask a couple of questions. You know, what could be more marvelous uh, uh, than God becoming flesh? I don't know if you, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll pause and, and, and challenge you to think that through, just how amazing that is. Sometimes we can get so used to hearing that that we don't think it through or we don't think it through afresh, but Almighty God, the creator of the universe, taking on a human body. What could be more marvelous than Almighty God coming into this world in the person of Jesus so that we could see Jesus and and then in seeing Jesus, we could see the Father. How, How breathtaking that is. That's marvelous, isn't it? And what could be more incredible than Jesus, the God-man, going to the cross in place of sinners like you and like me? How about this? What greater words to the ears of sinner than, than the words of Jesus on the cross when He said in John 19 and verse 30, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? The salvation of His people. Accomplishment of salvation. With that in mind, let's take another look at verse 1. God's right hand and God's holy arm has worked salvation. This is really, I think, what leads... To the joy here is this verse. I think it pries the lid off the, the container of joy, if you will, and opens it up. We, we think to ourselves a few questions. First, where were you and I when Christ was completing the work of salvation? Have you ever thought about that? Where were you and I when Christ was accomplishing salvation. Jesus had the help of no one, did He? Jesus completed this work with no help from sinners. And we might ask another question, what did we contribute? Did we contribute anything? Did Jesus work on the cross? The, The answer is unfortunately yes. What is it that we contributed to the cross? It was the sin that put Jesus on the cross. What did we contribute? We contributed the sin that Jesus had to suffer for. This is humbling. And I say this for a reason. We should never, 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 never think that we co-labor with Jesus in any way in atoning for our sins. And the reason I, I don't think if I, if I preach that every Sunday, I don't think it would be enough. Because I hear these kinds of sentiments constantly. Where a person is going to do this to atone for sins or a person is going to do that to atone for sins. I mean, those aren't usually the words that we use. We usually don't speak that way, but it's a hard thing to get out of our heads We think to ourselves that, you know, if we're doing such and such and such and such, then we can be in God's good graces. And um, if we could do enough of this, we could really be in God's good graces. What are we actually doing when we think that way? The good news is that you and I have salvation by trusting in the work that's already been done the work that has already been done. Look at verse 1 again with me. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Whose right hand? Is it your right hand? Is it my right hand? It's God's right hand, isn't it? whose holy arm? It's it's unlikely that any of you, I know you all so well, it's unlikely that any of you would, would even consider your arms as holy arms. Is it my holy arm? Is it your holy arm? Of course not. It's His holy arm. See, until we come to really understand this, Our lips are going to be sealed up. Our tongues are going to be stuck. Our mouths are going to be unable. And our hearts are going to be devoid of singing this new song. You see, not everybody can sing the new song. You see, what we have here is a call to do something that not everybody can do. The only one that can do this is the one who has come to the end of the rope and has come to see their sin before the holy and magnificent majesty of Almighty God. And to realize that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to atone for our own sin. We have to come to the realization that we need a Savior. And not everyone has come to that realization. But see, it's only as we come to the realization that we need that Savior... And only as we come to the realization that Jesus is that savior is the lid pried off the can of joy, if you will. So, one of the first works of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts is to convict us of our sin and reveal the holy majesty of God. Uh, we often call that the bad news of the gospel. As we get the bad news, we begin to digest the bad news. Then comes the good news. What's the good news? The good news is God's making this known to everyone. Why? He wants everyone to know. What does He want everyone to know? He wants everyone to know that He's merciful. He's come in Christ Jesus to show Himself merciful. We can have salvation simply by trusting in Jesus and have Him for the taking. I heard a sermon several years ago. I was thinking about that sermon, I think, yesterday. as Tammy and I were taking care of things. This sermon was one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. And it was preached by a man that uh, no one probably has ever heard of. I had never heard of him until I uh, heard that sermon. I can tell you right now, I remember his point. I remember it. The point of his sermon was your greatest need is need. What a message. What's our greatest need? Well, it's health insurance. No, it's not. What's our greatest need? Well, it's income. No, it's not. What's our greatest need? Your greatest need is need. What need? Need of Jesus. I don't know about you, but... Um, I'm finding this Christmas season to be especially difficult, more so than any other Christmas season. I don't know why this one's really getting to me so much, but um, our culture doesn't understand, do they? I have to ask myself, do I understand? As we're out running around like a bunch of ants, fetching as much stuff as we can afford or can't afford, as much stuff as we can drag home back to our places that are already so cluttered with stuff that we can't even find room for anymore. Is this what it's about? We're acting like a bunch of ants if that's what it's about. We need all this stuff, don't we? We need all these things. We need everything but Jesus. Our greatest need need for Jesus. But once we understand that, once we begin to understand that, once we begin to see there's nothing we can do, once we begin to see we don't even deserve anything nice. Deserving is such an important word to our culture. We're always hearing you deserve this and you deserve that. Much of it has come from the advertising agencies. You deserve this, you deserve that. Uh, we, we we can't help but to get that all over us because we're 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 it's all around us. What is it that we deserve? Let's be really clear about that. What is it that we deserve? We deserve judgment. That's what we deserve. The good news is Jesus has come to give us what we don't deserve. The hymn writer captures this so perfectly. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the, thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Once we understand that, we can sing a new song. In fact, we, we can't do any other than sing a new song. Verse 2 provides another reason. For the new song, I've already hinted at it. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. This is a wonderful thought. I often like to pray this way, especially on Sunday morning. As you realize that right now somewhere in the world, the gospel is being preached and you know what's taking place. Someone's hearing the gospel, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 90th time but God's working in the proclamation of that gospel in such a way that their heart is going to be opened and you know what they're gonna be able to do for the first time they're gonna be able to sing the new song it just brings a tear to your eye doesn't it there's another brother there's another sister we will dwell with them for all eternity in the presence of Jesus it's gonna happen today it's already happened today. It'll happen tomorrow too, you know. Tomorrow maybe it'll happen at the water cooler at work or at the coffee pot. Or maybe it'll happen as someone is hearing a sermon on the radio or on their phone. Maybe it'll happen as someone hears the recording of this. And it'll happen Tuesday. And it'll happen Wednesday. And it'll happen Thursday. And it's going to keep happening until the very last one is called to Jesus. And when that happens, what comes next? We'll see in just a couple of minutes. But look at verse 3. Verse 3 is, the, I think, the most heartwarming verse in the Psalm. He has remembered what? He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. This is so very beautiful. In the midst of all of our rebellion, God has kept His promises. In the midst of all of our kicking and screaming, in the midst of all of our our rebelling, God has kept His promises. He's a faithful God. His love is steadfast. And as we look deep into His promises, we see that they're forever sure. They're forever certain. They're forever steadfast. God has put His love upon His children and He will never, ever, ever take that away from them. He will never, ever, ever take that away from us. That steadfast love is eternal. And we're so quickly out of time, but I must mention one more thing. Even if it is very brief, I think we should do it. If you look down to verses 8 and 9, Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. It's kind of neat. All creation joins in the chorus, you know. Verse 9, before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, as we read verse 9, really quickly, maybe without a lot of thought, we we might conclude that What's in view here is Christ's return and judgment uh, upon uh, the wicked. You know, the great day of judgment, the great day of final reckoning. But I I think that William Binney is very helpful here. His comments on verse 9, namely the phrase, He comes to judge the earth. Binney says this. He says that the phrase does not refer, as an unwary reader might suppose, to the judgment of the great day. There is no terror in it. The Psalms that have it for their principal burden are jubilant in the highest degree. The design of the proclamation is to announce Christ in the character of a peaceful prince coming to administer equal laws with an impartial hand And so to cause wrong and contention to cease in the earth. I think William Binney is spot on here. The great theme for a new song is the end of unfair practices. The end of oppression. The end of of sin and wickedness. The end of violence. All in the plain view of the reign of the Prince of Peace. Isn't that wonderful? Loved ones, if we're in Christ Jesus this morning, that's our future. That's where all this is headed. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody. With trumpets and sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness. Peoples with equity. Heavenly Father, O Lord, we thank you for this new song. And we thank you, O Lord, for the joy, the joy that has given birth to this new song. But even in back of that joy, we thank you for the great and marvelous things that you have done in Christ Jesus that has created the joy that has created the song. And we pray, O Lord, that you will fill our hearts with joy, O Lord. But we recognize, O Lord, we recognize our hearts are not always full of joy. But, O Lord, give us eyes to see this psalm from time to time, that our hearts would be fulfilled and filled afresh with this great joy of which we are going to sing for all eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. Invite like you to stand as we sing our closing psalm, Joy to the World.